Our scripture reading comes from Philippians chapter 4, continuing in our series on the book of, uh, on the letter to the Philippians. Philippians 4, and we'll read verses 2 through 9. Philippians 4, verse 2, I entreat you, Odia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So far, the word of God, to which we'll be giving special attention this, after, or this morning, is Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. It's only a couple of verses. Let's read those again in preparation for hearing the word of God preached. Philippians 4, verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, once again as we start to meditate on these verses, we want to remember again, these are some of Paul's final words to the Philippian church, and it was a church that he loved very dearly. And so in these last verses of Philippians, Paul is giving them some of the most important things that he can give them to to think about. And these are things he wants them to always keep in mind. Everything else in Philippians, he writes in part due to the circumstances of, of that church. Here are things that he wants them to always keep in mind. In verse 4, he urges the Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord always. In verse 5, he says, Let your reasonableness be known to all men, and he backs that up with a reminder that the Lord is at hand. And now in verses 6 through 7, he gives them one more final word. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, there's more to say about those two verses than can possibly be said in a single sermon. 
Older, more mature Christians will probably understand exactly what Paul is talking about here when he speaks of the peace of God that surpasses understanding. It isn't something that's easy to communicate. Uh, These are very well-known verses, but they're not always and not generally very well understood verses and well-appreciated verses. And I can say that confidently, that, that these verses are not well understood, because anxious Christians are everywhere. They're all over the place, including even in this church. And many anxious Christians don't even realize that they are anxious, or how anxious indeed they are. It's possible to live in a state of constant worry and anxiety without even realizing it. And that's the case for many Christians and possibly for a good number of us. To understand then what Paul is saying here and the full force of what he's saying here, we need to understand first of all what he means by anxious. See, you might, you might actually call Paul a bit of a hypocrite here because Paul tells the Philippians not to be anxious about anything. And yet, if you had been reading this in the Greek, you might have noticed only a few verses earlier, or I guess a couple chapters earlier, Paul actually commended Timothy for his concern for the Philippian church. And he used the exact same word there. He says, I commend Timothy to you because he has been anxious for you. He says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. And he uses the exact same word. So you might accuse Paul of a bit of hypocrisy here. You're telling us, don't be anxious about anything. And then you're saying, well, Timothy is anxious for you. So should we or shouldn't we be anxious? Which way is it? Well, Obviously, we have to assume that there are different things going on here, that Paul can mean anxiety in one sense in a good way and in another sense in a way that is not good. There's a kind of concern that is good and healthy and commendable, and there's also a kind of anxiety that is not. So so we can deduce from that it's not wrong to care. We shouldn't hear Paul when he says, Do not be anxious, as him teaching us we should stop caring about the things in our lives. He's not exhorting us to simply be apathetic or stoic, uh, to, to just not feel anything at all. So what does he mean then when he says, do not be anxious about anything? Well, if you know your Bible well, you'll know that Paul is not the first to give this command. The Lord Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 6. He said, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Again, a few verses later, Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his life? Again, a few verses after that, he says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? So, the Lord Jesus and Paul are both now giving us this command, Do not be anxious. So, what is this anxiety, then, that they are speaking about? Part of the answer, if you're looking at Jesus' command, part of the answer seems to be that 
Jesus is warning us about an anxiety about earthly things. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? That's certainly the focus in, in his exhortation. He says the Gentiles seek after these things, and he urges us instead to seek after the things of God. Uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So part of the answer in this command is uh, do not be anxious about earthly things. Instead, seek the things of God. But there's more to it than, than simply that. Because those earthly concerns are real. And we do have to think about them and care about them. It's not so simple as saying, stop caring about earthly things and start caring about heavenly things. The practical reality of life is that we do have to care about the earthly things in our lives. We can't simply say, let's, let's not worry about them, because we'll starve to death. We need to make plans. We need to think ahead, and that means we have to care. And besides that, it's also possible to be overly anxious about heavenly things. You can't simply break it down that simply. Paul does write, do not be anxious about anything. He doesn't only mention earthly things. Uh, And it's entirely possible to have an unhealthy anxiety about the church or about the kingdom of God or about the state of, uh, of Christianity in this country. Those are heavenly questions, and yet it's possible to, be unhealth, to have an unhealthy anxiety also about those things. So the answer is not as simple as, as saying, don't be anxious about earthly things. Instead, be anxious about heavenly things. Instead, there's a clue in the Greek that, that shows us what Paul is getting at. Paul writes, don't be anxious about anything. And and that verb, to be anxious, that verb is in the present tense in in the Greek, which which always indicates an ongoing action. Uh, So so Paul is thinking here about anxiety, not simply as a state or or as a fact, but as an ongoing reality. Uh, So you could translate this just as well as don't dwell in anxiety. Don't let anxiety be an ongoing reality in your lives. Don't keep on being anxious. In other words, Paul is well aware that anxieties do come. They will come into our lives. You can't command anxiety away. It doesn't go away that way. They will come. Pressures come, and those pressures bring anxiety with them. Uh, That part of the Christian life is inevitable. It happens to every one of us. Every Christian experiences it. In fact, the Lord Jesus experienced it. You can think of him in the Garden of Gethsemane, filled with anxiety. Uh, And in fact, Paul wouldn't be writing this if he didn't expect anxiety to come. Uh, that's, the, that's always been the experience of every believer throughout history. So when Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, he's not commanding you not to experience the feeling of anxiety. That will come, but his question, the, the question is, what will you do with that anxiety? Will you keep on in anxiety? Will you live in Anxiety, that, that present tense verb makes all the difference. It's an ongoing action that Paul is addressing here. Because here's, here's the hard truth 
that many Christians, all of us, have a hard time accepting, and that is, you are not in control of your life. You see, anxiety arises out of the belief that we are still somewhat in control of our lives. That's what causes us to to be anxious. When we believe that we're in control, uh, then we spend our time trying to foresee and trying to plan for every possible uh, tragedy that might enter into our lives, even things that are way outside of our control. You think of for example, someone in an airplane that's, that's sitting there trembling in anxiety because they're afraid of, of being in an airplane, what can they possibly do in their anxiety that would make them any more safe? It's a belief that somehow we can plan for the future to, to prevent any possible thing from coming into our lives. It's a belief, in other words, that we are ultimately in control. We need to know that we're not You can't keep tragedy from coming into your life. There's nothing you can do to stop it. You you can't keep things like brain cancer from suddenly popping into your life. You can't prevent sudden tragic car accidents. You can do things to help reduce risk, but you can't prevent these things from happening. You can't prevent a loved one from suddenly passing away. You can't prevent your infant child from suddenly passing away. The truth is, as the Lord Jesus says, we can't add an, a single hour to our lives. We can't guarantee that there will be a tomorrow. And if there is a tomorrow, we can't guarantee that there will even be food on the table for tomorrow. We can plan, but we are not ultimately in control. We can't make our life go the way that we want it to go. Uh, We can't guarantee, if you're single, you can't guarantee that you will find a spouse. Uh, If you don't have children, you can't guarantee that they will come. That is not in your control. And if you do have children, you can't guarantee that they will always walk with the Lord. These are things that are outside of our control. It's a hard thing for Christians to accept this. Our lives are not in our control. And the longer we live under that illusion, the deeper the disappointment will be when we discover that it is not true. So the question is, what will you do with your anxieties? If you believe you are in control, you will live in those anxieties. The fact is, they will come. Anxieties, pressures will come. Paul knows they will. That's why he's writing. He's not being naive. In fact, he's writing to a church that had already experienced persecution and that he knew was going to experience more of it. He knew anxieties would come. The question is, what will they do with those anxieties? And here's why this matters then. If we do insist on being in control Even though we know we're not, we will be anxious forever. We will live in that anxiety uh, nonstop. And those anxieties will ultimately consume us. Because there's nothing we can do to stop those things from happening. Sure, we have responsibilities and roles to play. And we should care about those things. And of course, we know that God does bless Good choices and and decisions that come from integrity are are blessed. Proverbs uh, speaks about that at length. But even there, the book of Proverbs makes no 
promise, no guarantee that we are in control of our lives and if we do everything right, everything will work out uh, as, as we intend. Those are things that belong in the hands of God. And, and Proverbs emphasizes that so many times over. Uh, you think of the proverb that says, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. How many of us want to influence the authorities over us? Ultimately, even those are in the hand of God. And so if we insist on being in control, even when we're not, those anxieties will ultimately consume us. And the truth is, many of us are are living in that world. And some of us might not even realize that we're living in that world. We're fighting to be in control of our lives, to keep our lives going the way that we insist. We're manipulating all the details in our lives because we we believe that somehow if we take care of all the details, we can force God to give us what we want. And we may not even know what that is that we want, but we believe we can force God to give it. The truth is we're busy then trying to control a future that is far, far outside of our control. And we keep on If we keep on living under that illusion, those anxieties will keep building up and will ultimately destroy us. Paul knows this, and he sees those anxieties coming, and he wants the Philippians to understand that. And so he gives them that command, uh, do not keep on being anxious about anything. Instead, he offers the antidote to those anxieties. He says, instead, in everything... By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. Brothers and sisters, we need to know how important this is in the Christian life. Again, those anxieties will come. You can't stop them from coming. Uh, There will be anxieties about what you might call earthly things, food, drink, clothing, sickness, cancer, and There will be anxieties about what you want to call heavenly things, uh, the state of the church, the state of God's kingdom, uh, the spiritual well-being of our children. All of these things bring concern and anxiety, and they will come into our lives. As such, that's neither good or bad. That that just is. Those things just will come. Uh, For example, you you think of Hannah, the mother of Samuel in, in 1 Samuel 1. Hannah was barren, and it grieved her deeply to the point that uh, sometimes she was so bothered by it that she could not even eat. Uh, And and that was even more the case because she had a rival wife who provoked her uh, because of her barrenness. And so the, the reality of her barrenness never stopped afflicting her, and, and it never stopped coming back onto her mind. And so in 1 Samuel 1, you find Hannah in the house of the Lord, it says, deeply distressed and weeping bitterly. And I don't think we should rebuke her for that. I don't believe Paul would rebuke her for that. That's a simple fact of life. Anxieties will come, and they will bring great distress with them. There will be unbearable anxieties. There will be tears or tears. There, there will be anguish of soul. Those are all just realities of life, and probably all the more so for Christians. The question is, what will you do with those anxieties? Hannah knew 
that there was only one place to go, and that was to the house of the Lord. Hannah knew that the anxiety and anguish that was in her heart could not stay there or it would consume her. And so she brought it before the Lord. Paul's not rebuking us for having anxieties. Paul is urging us to do as Hannah did and bring those anxieties before God. By prayer and supplication, she made her request known to God. You can call that an earthly anxiety. To give an example of a a heavenly anxiety, you might think of Nehemiah in in Nehemiah chapter 1. He was equally in anguish and and in distress. And for him, as a leader of God's people, the, the source of that anguish was the state of God's kingdom, the state of the church. And so, both for Hannah and Nehemiah, you have concerns. For Hannah, you can call them earthly concerns. For Nehemiah, heavenly concerns, but both were legitimate concerns. And so Nehemiah, when he had these concerns, it it, it says it grieved him so profoundly that the king, because Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king, the king of Persia noticed the sadness on Nehemiah's face, which at that point must have been there for days already. Uh, And and the king was able to observe that, that Nehemiah had great anxiety in his heart. Would Paul have rebuked Nehemiah for that anxiety? I don't believe he would. Because just like Hannah, Nehemiah also did exactly what Paul is urging the Philippians to do by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving to make his request known to God. So the command is is not to never feel anxiety. We shouldn't hear Paul saying that. Anxieties will come. That's the fact of the Christian life, and there's nothing we can do to stop that. The question is, what will you do with those anxieties? As a Christian, there's only one thing you can do to keep them from consuming you, and that is by prayer and supplication to make your request known to God. That's the instinctive reaction of faith in, in Old and New Testament. And that's the, we can call that then the, the antidote to anxiety. Only by bringing our concerns before God can we ever be freed from anxiety that would otherwise destroy us. Now, in this command, you can see three elements. Paul mentions prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. Uh, Prayer and and supplication are are really essentially the same thing. Prayer is is a bit more of a general term, and, and supplication emphasizes the aspect of neediness. We are needy people before God. And so it emphasizes that attitude of dependence on God, which we ought to have before him. And then Paul also mentions thanksgiving. And we shouldn't gloss over the fact that Paul specifically mentions thanksgiving. And this is more than just just counting your blessings, though, though it certainly does include that. But even more, if you think about that in the context of the letter to the Philippians, it's remembering to give thanks particularly for all that we have in Christ. After all, that's what Paul has just been writing about. It's remembering in all of our anxieties the fact that we are blood-bought sinners who, because of Christ and only because of Christ, can say with Paul, I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. If you're a Christian, you haven't 
you, you have an eternal inheritance of glory in Christ. And that means whatever sufferings we endure in this world, and for some of us, those sufferings are very great indeed, just as they were for Paul. But whatever sufferings we endure in this world, the grace and the glory that we will inherit in Christ is of far surpassing worth over against the trials that we endure on this earth. And even in the midst of the worst trials, that ought to be reflected in our prayers. That's what Paul means when he speaks of thanksgiving in our prayers. Do we take the time in our prayers to reflect on that fact that we are blood-bought sinners, to, to dwell on that reality and to give thanks to God that we can still come before him in prayer and he promises to hear us and he, he assures us that he loves us and he works all things for our good precisely because we are in Christ. Do we take the time in our prayers to give God thanks for that truth? We, we can and we should bring our concerns before God. That's exactly what Paul is exhorting us to do. But as we do that, we should never forget to give thanks to God also for what we have in Christ. Because that brings us back again to perspective. And we need to be brought back over, over and over again. We need to be brought back to perspective because otherwise the, the anxieties in our life quickly shift our perspective away from the truth of Christ. So Paul urges us not to forget that element of thanksgiving in our prayers. And finally, then he, he tells us, make your request known to God. It's not that God, of course, does not know them. Of course, God does. But God calls us to nevertheless bring them before him because that's what children do before their father if they know that their father loves them and has their best interests in mind. And God assures us that he does. Remember, as Paul says in Romans 8, God works all things for good for those who love him. Some trials, it's, it's almost impossible to imagine how God could possibly work it for good. But in our prayers, we keep that in mind. God works all things for good. He's our Father. He loves us. And even if we can't understand how this could work for good, that's what God has in mind. So he urges us to make our concerns, our requests, known to God. Let me, let me paraphrase this command to put it in another way. Paul says, again, do not be anxious about anything, but, but with prayer make your request known to God. Let me, let me turn that around, sort of flip it on its head. We know that anxieties will come. In greater or lesser measure, they will come. So, do not let there be less prayer in your day than there is anxiety on your mind. Do not let there be less prayer in your day than there is anxiety on your mind. I say it that way because there are many among us who are filled with anxiety and who probably feel like they have prayed about this already. Uh, and so now that we've prayed, what more is there to do? And beyond that, there are others who may be filled with anxiety without even realizing that they are filled with anxiety. And so consider it this way then. If you do have just a little anxiety on your minds about just a few things, then do still make sure that you bring those few simple things in prayer before God. 
There's no sense carrying anxiety that hasn't been brought before God. That's not an attitude of faith. And you might discover as you bring those before God that there is actually more anxiety within you than you initially thought there was. And if you have much anxiety and you know that you do, then the same applies by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Make those many great requests known to God. Which, yes, it does mean you will spend a lot of time in prayer. Do not let there be less prayer in your day than there is anxiety on your mind. Maybe some of us hear that and we think, well, if I did that, then I'd I'd be in prayer all day long. Well, maybe so, but is it any more reasonable to be consumed with anxiety all day long? If that anxiety is still on our minds, then it ought to still remain in our prayers. There's still need for more prayer. So Paul's command here is not just about small concerns or just about big concerns. It's very all-encompassing. He says, do not be anxious about anything. If you're anxious about a little, bring that little before God in prayer. If you're anxious about much, bring that much before God in much prayer. The point there is not that prayer will automatically make those anxieties go away. The point is that God hears and God responds to our prayers and our supplications when it's accompanied with thanksgiving that also helps to bring us back to perspective. And it's in, that, in the context of that command then that Paul gives us an amazing promise in verse 7. He says, The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's such a beautiful promise, and I know that some of you know exactly what Paul is talking about there when he says, when he speaks of a peace of God that surpasses understanding. I've certainly seen it in in those that I've known, and I'm sure that many of you have seen this as well. People who you would never imagine could possibly have peace And yet God gives them a peace that surpasses understanding. Let's not forget to whom Paul was writing as he wrote this. He himself was writing from prison, facing the very real possibility of death. And that already after many beatings and whippings and the prospect of probably quite a few more. And he was writing to a Philippian church which he knew had many reasons to be anxious They were small. They were in the heartland of paganism. They were already facing persecution. That's clear from chapter 1, verse 29. It's also clear from how Paul writes about them to the the Corinthians. He speaks of the churches in Macedonia, which after great affliction, nevertheless gave generously. And you can only begin to imagine then the worries and the anxieties that would have been on the minds of these Philippian believers. The possibility of having their homes broken into or altogether repossessed. Uh, the, the, the possibility that they and their families could be dragged before the authorities, possibly even thrown to the lions as many early Christians were. The Emperor Nero was known to use Christians as as torches, living torches, to light his garden parties. So they had every reason to be anxious, both for themselves and for their their children and, and their families. But the promise here from Paul, and ultimately, of course, from God, was true then and is true now. 
If in everything by prayer and supplication we make our concerns known to God, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul, Paul doesn't say for nothing that that peace is a peace that surpasses understanding. It's in circumstances that you would consider it unfathomable that anyone could possibly experience peace that God nevertheless gives it. And when it happens, it's so clear, and I've heard this from the testimony of so many Christians as well, that that is a peace that does not come from within themselves. Paul calls it the peace of God and not for nothing. Uh, it's not a peace that can possibly arise from within us. We know that our tendency is to be anxious and to want to control our circumstances. And it's an amazing gift that, that truly does surpass understanding when, with much prayer, God gives a peace that no one can possibly imagine. Those of us who have been there and those of us who have seen this know exactly what Paul is speaking about. The source of that peace comes from knowing that our lives are securely in our Father's hands. Not a hair falls without, from our heads without our Father's will. He knows our anxieties, and He has a plan and a purpose for everything that, that, he, that He chooses as our Father to put us through, and He uses it for our good. It's when we know that that we can begin to let go of the anxiety that, that holds on to us. In Christ, we are God's children, and we know that our Father will not let us go. It's that that gives us a peace that surpasses understanding. And so when we begin to bring our concerns before God, then we begin to recognize this, and we begin to experience this peace. Finally, that peace, Paul says, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, God promises to give that peace as a shield, as a shield around us to keep anxiety from afflicting us and consuming us, to prevent our circumstances from derailing us. That's what he means when he speaks of uh, peace as, as guarding your hearts and minds. And notice again, he says, uh, they will guard our hearts, it will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul knows this. That's where our comfort is. That's where that peace comes from. Our comfort is in Christ. It's because of Christ and because of who we are in Christ that we can have peace with God, that we can have assurance that God hears our prayers, and that we can trust that he will work things for our good. All of that is only because we are in Christ. It's not for nothing that our catechism emphasizes that our only comfort in life and death is that we belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. It's knowing that, as the catechism says, that leads to the assurance that our Father cares for us and that not a hair from, falls from our heads without his will. Horatio Stafford, the author of the famous hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, he's an example of someone who understood this well. He was a businessman who lived in, in the U.S. in the 1800s, and he became quite wealthy through, through different investments in, in real estate, especially in, in Chicago. In 1870, he lost his only son, four years old, to scarlet fever. And then a year later, 
he lost all of his investments to a fire that burned most of Chicago to the ground. Then, two years later, he was planning to travel to Europe to give his wife and his, his daughters uh, some time of vacation. And so he sent his family ahead of him because he still had some business matters to, to take care of. And during that journey, the ship sank. All four of his daughters perished in the water. And his wife sent him a telegram from England saying uh, two simple words, survived alone. And it was in response to that telegram that he wrote that hymn, When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. In the space of four years, this man lost everything that he had on earth, and yet somehow he still was able to rest in the arms of his heavenly Father, knowing that it is indeed well. That's a peace that surpasses understanding And you can see in that hymn that he wrote how that that peace was rooted in the knowledge of Christ and all that Christ had done for him. What was the source of that, that wellness of soul? He makes it so clear in the hymn. He says, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. Again, he says, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. One more verse, he says, for me, be it Christ, be it Christ, hence to live. If Jordan above me shall roll, no pang shall be mine, for in death as in life, thou wilt whisper thy peace to my soul. So, brothers and sisters, don't miss the significance of this final word from Paul. Let me say it again. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not, in other words, dwell in that anxiety. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving for all that Christ has done for you, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which truly surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's respond by singing from hymn 64, stanzas 1 and 2.